This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Lord, help us to hear the voice of Jesus this morning. I pray that we would not only hear but obey it. I pray for your help as I preach and for each one of us, Lord, that you would help us to be people of your cross. I ask this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this is a Sunday. We're going to look at the cross a little bit today, and um, I'm going to have some images uh, on the screen just kind of flipping through different types of crosses. And I think even if you look around this room, I mean, it'd be a fun little game to see how many crosses you can find. There's, there are crosses, there's the big Roman cross up here. There's a little Greek cross right there. There's a cross here. There's a cross here. This is a Jerusalem cross. This is a Greek cross. That's, that's not a cross. That's actually a Cairo, which is the first two words of the Greek word Christos, which means Christ. There's a cross in the window. There's a cross in the window there. There's a cross on the Paschal candle back there. You could keep going. The number of crosses is impressive. And the different variety of crosses also. Our cross that the the logo for our church has is known as the crosslet cross. And it is called that because crosslets are four little crosses that are Roman crosses that all meet together in the middle to form a bigger cross. And it's symbolic of the mission, north, south, east, and west. The mission of taking the gospel out to the ends of the earth. What's interesting about the cross is it is the most recognized and the most powerful symbol ever of all time around the world. There will never be another symbol that will surpass it forever. The cross is that powerful, that strong. At certain times, it's offensive. There have been periods where people thought of it more as a a torture device. You know, it's nice to have a cross on my stole, but if I had a picture of a hangman's noose right here, that's, that would be offensive to us, right? But the cross was a torture device. And it, because Christ glorified it, the Son of Man glorified it, it actually has, it doesn't carry that same morbidity, but rather it's a symbol of life, of resurrection, of life through death. I find it interesting that you've got crosses that are dainty, little gold crosses that can be worn as jewelry. You've got tough West Coast chopper crosses that can be tattooed on a shoulder and look as mean and nasty as possible. I know of two people at least, and I'll bet there are many more who have crosses tattooed on their bodies. I saw one this morning in this room. I won't single that person out, but the cross is a powerful symbol. And today I want to think about making friends with the cross. What does it mean to make friends with the cross? We're in this series called Coming Alive, and ironically, in a series about coming alive, today's focus is the cross. But that's one of the ironies of the scripture, is that death and life are related, and that Christ conquered death on a cross and rose to new life. So there's an irony there. And I want to give you a a game to play today, kind of like we just briefly did looking around here. You know, when you're on the road and you're going on a a long road trip, you start looking for words that begin with letter A and then B and then C, and kind of a game you play to occupy the time. I want you to play a game of counting the crosses today that you see in your travels, wherever. But the rules are simple. You can't count a cross more than once. So once you see the cross in that window, okay, cross one. And I'm adding a secret rule to this game. Uh, that my family doesn't know about because they're not in this service. And that rule is, I get two points if I can annoy my daughters with this game. (laughs) And I'll know that I've annoyed them when they go, Dad, stop it. And it's just like, Dad, stop it. When When that happens, I get two points for that cross. 
So we're going to see how many crosses we see today. But not just to count crosses, as you see them, I want you to ask the question, am I living as a friend of the cross or an enemy of it? Okay, am I living as a friend of the cross or an enemy of the cross? And I take that term enemy of the cross from the Apostle Paul. If you want to turn in the Bible, go to Philippians chapter 3. That's the preaching text today. I'm going to focus on the epistle. And Paul refers to those who are enemies of the cross. And I'm looking at that and thinking, well, what would be the opposite? It would be friends of the cross. So Philippians 3 is the passage today. It's it's the end of chapter 3 and going into chapter 4. This is the Apostle Paul writing while he is in prison in Rome awaiting execution. It's only four chapters long. Philippians has four chapters, and it is full of joy, and it also has encouragement and exhortation. In Philippians, Paul is writing to a church that he helped found. In the book of Acts, I think it's chapter 16 or thereabouts, he went into the city of Philippi and went out to a place of prayer, and he found a woman named Lydia who sold appropriately, purple cloth. And she was a merchant and prominent in that city, and she was a believer in God. And God opened her heart to respond to the word that Paul and the others were proclaiming, and a church was founded in Philippi. Philippi is a port city. It's, if you've watched the news and you've seen the people fleeing from Turkey to try to get to Macedonia, those waters are the waters that people would have plied to bring their goods through the city of Philippi. Philippi is right up in the top of that, that waterway. It's also on something known as the Ignatian Way, which was a huge uh, uh, trade route. It was a Roman colony, which meant that even if you weren't living in Rome, if you were in Philippi, you were considered a Roman citizen. Sort of like if you're in the military and you're born in Japan on the base, you are an American citizen. So citizenship was important to them. And this was a really prominent city. It was rich. And they struggled at times as well. Um, The Apostle Paul, in this passage, in verse 17 says, or excuse me, in verse 18 says, For many of whom I have often told you and now even tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Why is it that the apostle would have tears as he's writing this? He has tears because there are people who are enemies of the cross, and it does two things. One, it's terrible for those individuals, and two, it kills their witness. I believe he's speaking of people who've come through that church and have been around and have heard of the cross and have chosen to not be a friend of the cross but be an enemy of the cross. And he goes into a list of things that describe those who are enemies of the cross, The first is, he says, their end is destruction. The Bible is not afraid to talk about hell, to talk about judgment, to talk about destruction. And it frightens us, and we skip past those passages often. We don't like it when we read through the Gospels and Jesus talks about judgment or destruction. We don't like it when the apostle says things like this, but he's clear. And the truth is that without the cross, there is no salvation. So each one of us will have an opportunity to stand before the Lord, and he is holy. And what are you going to say when you stand before him? I'm going to point to the cross, and I'm going to say the penalty was paid. Jesus did it for me, and I received that gift. That's the only way that you can avoid their end. But those who are enemies of the cross can't say that. They won't claim the cross. Paul goes on, and he says, their God is their belly. You know, in a season of fasting, in a season of, of Lent, it's appropriate to think about that. 
the word for belly there could also mean appetite in general. So I take it more, a little bit broader than just food, but just any physical appetite. To worship the appetite and the thing that can satisfy or temporarily appease that appetite is a form of idolatry. And he says their God is their belly. That's what they're interested in. They live only for pleasure. And they glory in their shame, he says. Last week, we, we looked at uh, that, that little verse from Romans chapter 1, where it talks about people know the law of God, and they break it willingly and encourage others to do the same. And they revel in this, that their glory is in their shame. What should shame them doesn't. And I, I wonder in our culture how it is that we've become so, I guess, put off by temperance and moderation and people who have self-control. And we praise those who just cast off restraint. Uh, my kids went through a season of watching Little House on the Prairie, and those people were very modest, very humble people. They had a lot of self-control and discipline. And I find our culture, when we see things like that, we want them to cast off restraint and go wild. And we celebrate things like girls gone wild or whatever. That's where our culture is, glorying in what should, should be shameful. I had the experience um, of watching a movie that was inappropriate, and I turned it off because it bothered my conscience so much. And I was in a conversation with somebody, and they were talking about that movie and how funny it was. And it's a Will Ferrell movie, and he's incredibly funny. But in this particular movie, in order to be funny, he had to be crude. I don't think he had to be crude. He chose to be crude. And I, I said to this person, I said, oh, that movie looked like it was going to be really good, but it just turned out to be so bad that I had to turn it off. And this person pitied me for it. Like I was the lesser, like I lost out. That's the culture we're in. Glory in what should be shameful. They glory in their shame. That's a sign of an enemy of the cross. And their minds are set on earthly things. And the earth is great. And there's a lot of good things here. But there is so much more behind it. There is so much more to the heavenly things that are present to us now. But an enemy of the cross focuses on the here and now and only that. They're caught up in the material world and not tied into the spiritual world, not aware of it, not present to it, not welcoming it, and therefore not experiencing its power or its excitement or its joy or its life. This is Paul's description of those who are enemies of the cross. Well, what's his description of those who are friends of the cross? If you look at verse 20, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Friends of the cross have a citizenship that is otherworldly. If you've had the pleasure of traveling overseas and you're an American citizen, there is a swelling of pride when you're waiting in that line to go back in through immigration and you pull out your blue United States of America passport with the eagle and the crest on it and you think, I live in an amazing country. I'm, an, I'm a citizen of the United States of America. People do anything they can to get to this country and I belong to it. How much greater to be a citizen of heaven we have an even better and bigger passport, those of us who are friends of the cross. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. And then he says, from it we await a savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. So another mark of a friend of the cross is waiting. Anybody like to wait? I, I don't. Immediate gratification, right? I want Jesus to come now. And I'm good with that. Come now, Lord. Because of the cross, I'm not afraid. Come now. But we wait. A mark of the friend of the cross is to wait for a savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, to come. And then it goes on and says, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. 
So one of the things that's exciting about being a friend of the cross is this tent, Paul calls it, this body that houses our person, they're wearing away. Every day it wears out. And we know, we know the hardship of that. We see the pain of sickness and, and degenerative joints and all these different things. And we long for a perfect body. And those who are friends of the cross look ahead and go, hey, Jesus is going to give us a body like his own. He rose and those who are friends of the cross will get a new body like his, a physical body. You can embrace one another. You can touch things. You can eat, feast. We will physically eat after in the, in the life to come. This is powerful stuff. And our lowly body will be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So a fourth mark of friends of the cross would be power. Not power for our sake, but God's power at work in us to transform us. So those who are friends of the cross have citizenship. They await a Savior's return. They expect a glorious body like Jesus's, and they are eager for his power to transform them. So that's what we get, right? That's, those are all benefits to us. Um, those are great things. What's the cost? What does it expect of us? What does it ask? Paul goes on in the very next verse, verse four, uh, ch- chapter four, verse one, and he says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. To stand firm is to go against the current, the culture, the, the stream of tendencies, the, everything is moving in a direction, and he is saying, stand firm. Don't be swept with it. Don't be carried along with the spirit of the age. Stand firm in Christ and in the cross. That's tough to do. Jesus says, take up your cross. So so we have a cross. Jesus has a cross, a big one, and we have a little one in comparison. But he says, if anyone follow me, let him take up his, his cross daily. Deny himself and take up his cross. And Paul, in chapter 2 of Philippians, says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We have work to do. Now, we don't do it alone. He goes on and says, for it is God who is at work within you. So God is at work within us, but then we are told to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So to stand firm against the culture and to take up a cross is hard. We have work to do. It's one of the reasons people are enemies of the cross. They look at Christianity and think that looks hard. And to some extent it is. And they don't consider the benefits and they don't see them as immediate benefits. They don't think think it's worth doing this work for something that's way down there. I just want to live for now. I don't want to work out my salvation. I don't want to take up a cross. I just want what I want. That's to live as an enemy of the cross. John Stott, who wrote a book called The Cross of Christ, which of his 70-some books, when he was asked which book he thought was the most important, he said the cross of Christ was the most important book. In that book, he said, before we can see the cross as something done for us, we have to see the cross as something done by us. In other words, our sin caused it. Our sin put the Lord there. And we want to jump over to Easter and skip Good Friday because it hurts to look at it because we have to realize, Man, it's my sin that caused the Lord to have to go through that. But it was his love that made him willing to do it. So I got to see something about who God is in the cross. And it hurts to think that he hurt so much for me, but then I know his love. Then we look at that and we think, who is this God? He's amazing. He was willing to do this for us. The cross is incredible. And it's done so much for us. The Apostle Paul 
in verse 17 of chapter 3 starts by saying, brothers, join in imitating me. That's a bold statement. And as your preacher this morning, I look at that and I tremble a bit and I think, do I want to stand up and say, look at my life and imitate it? And Paul before that said, not that I've already obtained this all or am already perfect, but I am pressing on towards maturity and perfection. And he's saying, imitate that. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And if I was to take the book of Philippians, this letter, four chapters, and think what really anchors it down, there are two things. In chapter two is the Christ hymn, where it says, Christ didn't consider equality with God something to hang on to, but he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant, being humbled, being born as a human. And it, and it describes his willingness to serve and to sacrifice. And then, and then Paul talks here about, in, earlier in chapter 3, about all the things that he could have been confident about. What he calls are his confidences in the flesh, meaning his pedigree, his academics, his, everything that he had done, all the works he had done, his, his zeal for God. He said, all of that I count as rubbish, and I forsake it. To know Christ is what counts for me now. And so we have Paul's example of pursuing Christ and not praising himself. And we have Jesus' example of not hanging on to his divine nature as something to, to cling to, but he let go of it and came to serve us. We have these two examples in Philippians that are so powerful. Now, something that's frightening about being a friend of the cross is that we will be imitated. There is no Christian who is not a witness. And people are looking. And people are judging us. And whether we want it or not, Unless you say, I'm not a Christian, if you say that, then you're not a witness to Christ, so they'll judge you on other standards. But the minute you associate with Christians or claim to be one, you've become a witness of Jesus. And that's a frightening thought, right? Because we're hypocrites. I'm a hypocrite. I say one thing, and then I can't quite live up to it. And so the humility of saying, I'm trying to get there. I'm working on this. My hope is in Christ that I'm pursuing him. That takes away that hypocrisy, and it says, you don't have to be perfect. You're just in a process of becoming like Christ. You're moving in that direction. Imitate me as I imitate Paul as he imitates Christ. The best place to start is with your family. You know, you can hide from people for a little while, but you can't hide from your family and those closest to you. And if you think, I've got to be perfect for them, you can't do that either. So what you have to do is center your life on Christ and say, I'm going to follow him. And I'm going to let everything else sort itself out. That's my witness. If I'm pursuing Christ, however imperfectly, the people around me will see that. I think that's probably the greatest thing you could hope for in life, is that at the end of your life, people said, yeah, that guy, he had his problems, but he pursued Jesus. He was a friend of the cross. To hear that would be amazing. To have that on your gravestone, friend of the cross. That's, a, that's, that's something worth living for plus all those other benefits I already described. Every Christian is a witness and wears a cross. I thought about that this year at Ash Wednesday. You know, we put the, the cross on our foreheads. And in previous years, I've said, wipe it off, that's for you. But this year, as I, Dan gave the homily, but this year as I was thinking about it, I thought, there are some of us that it would be better if we wiped that cross off because we might be tempted to boast in it. But there are others of us that really would do well to wear that cross all day. And let it kind of hang there as a reminder. I'm a witness for Christ. What are people seeing? They're going to see this smudge on my forehead. What does it mean? How do I explain it? I'm going to be asked about it by people that don't understand it. 
Last year, my mom had her cross on her forehead. She went to an early service and went with her Bible study group to Chick-fil-A. And the girl at the checkout counter said, you've got some dirt on your head. And didn't, had never heard of Ash Wednesday, didn't know what it was. But what it did was it provided an opportunity for a witness to explain I wear this mark of the cross on my forehead because I'm a friend of the cross, because Jesus died for my sins. I'm a Christian. I'm following him. What a powerful opportunity. I think everyone who's an Anglican should have to wear a collar and go through an airport just once in their life. (laughs) It's a strong witness. The, The thing about being a friend of the cross is that we are welcoming God's work in us. He is transforming us. Friends of the cross take up their cross because they want to see God transform them. Today, as you see crosses all over the place, and we lift it high, I want you to ask, am I walking as a friend of the cross? Am I letting God transform me? Do I want him to transform me? I hope you do, because we have a glorious future. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the Apostle Paul, who gave so much because he knew how much you had given him. I pray, Lord, for your help in the rest of this Lenten season. I pray that you would help us to work out our salvation in your power, in your strength. Help us, Lord, with our witness. I pray that we would have the blessing of helping others come to know your goodness. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.